0: The Short Code Podcast is a proud member of the Meded Media Network. Inspiration, information, and guidance on your journey to medical school and beyond at mededmedia.com.
1: Meandering in the margins of medicine, it's the Shortcoat Podcast.
2: Weird news, fresh views, helpful clues, and interviews. By
0: students
3: for students, subscribe to our weekly show at theshortcoat.com.
0: Welcome back to the Shortcoat, a podcast of the University of Iowa Carver College of Medicine. I'm Dave Etler. With me today on the show, in the studio, which is super exciting to me, is Tim Maxwell, M4. Hello, everyone. We've got M4 Austin Kazarian. What is up? We've got uh, Gabe Connolly, an MD MBA student who will soon be back in the in the clinic. I think, right? Yes, sir. Back in July. Pleasure to be here, Dave. And then joining us in the form of ones and zeros, Joyce Waba, who is
4: hey, everyone in an airport. Where? Where? Which airport? An undisclosed location. In an undisclosed location,
5: <laughs> in an undisclosed road in Denver, actually. Denver. We've got a solid six and a half hour layover. Well,
0: Denver's. I'm glad we could
2: give you something to do other than going to the like Walden Books for the fourth time. Of all that airports though, so that's daughter. not a terrible one to be stranded in, right? Kind of like that one. Yeah.
0: Bad.
2: Well, I'm glad you're here. Today's episode is sponsored by Panacea
0: Financial, a division of Bank, member FDIC. Panacea is banking for medical students and doctors. So it's nice for them to you know, sponsor us. I'll tell you more about them and their match day giveaway of $500 to medical students entering the 2021 match later in the show. These guys in the room with me today, cream of the crop ladies and gentlemen and non-binary friends. Joyce I'm glad you made the extra effort to join us while you're on the road because I feel like that shows commitment to the show and I appreciate that. Yeah. The reason she wanted to be here today is so she could talk to us about a new course that Austin and others have put together for med students and why it's important to try to do something similar at your school. Austin I got to think that a while back you just looked around and you were like hey you know, what? Medi- you know what medical students need they need more things to learn.
1: You know, you're right. So from uh, M1 year, I kind of realized that it seemed like some of my colleagues didn't understand the financial obligations of a medical degree. I actually did a survey of the least likely topics that a medical student would want (laughs) to learn about. (laughs) <laughs> and that topped the list, so I said, "This is what we need to do." Uh, and we sat down, and I I tried to push the financial learning on my classmates a few other ways, and they kept resisting it. So I figured putting it into the curriculum was the best way to to make them do it. Yeah. So so you what exactly have you done then? Yeah. Even though you can kind of think about two hundred thousand dollars as the average debt load, the the real weight of that doesn't set in until you're done. I think. And I tried to do a couple lectures and surveys, and I've been working with the financial aid department. I think Chris has been on here a number of times. who's phenomenal. Yeah, Chris Rowling, our financial services uh, advisor, he does a lot of work with students on their uh, debt load and their their loans and things like that. Yeah, he's incredible. And then at the end of the day, I said, you know, I, I... Think that a course would be the best for these M four students that are going to be going to a new place, finally making money after a zillion years, <clears throat> having a lot of loans, and they need to learn about how to manage that. And I sat down with the Chris and scoured around all over Iowa City to find somebody to teach the class and made it happen in about six months.
0: Who did you uh, find to to help teach?
1: So the teacher is this Doctor Scott Trulard, who's a private practice radiologist and adjunct professor who I got through a reference of another doctor that promptly rejected my offer to teach the class. So, kind of a silver lining there. And he's also got a master's in personal finance, and I couldn't think of anybody better to teach this course.
2: Yeah. Also an MBA. Yes. Very qualified for the teaching gig, for sure. So, it's mostly focused on loans? Oh, okay. So, the course itself, it's a two-week course. It's
1: Very abbreviated, it falls in the two weeks after match day, so students have their matched institutions' benefits, salaries, location, housing options, they're going to have their ultimate debt load, and you look at everything in the realm of personal finance, from insurance, to budgeting, to taxes, to managing your loans, of course, and choosing whether to buy or rent, and really, you create
2: a personal financial portfolio to launch your financial career as you start residency. I think that's awesome. It's sad to me that med students are motivated learners and med students probably don't have this sort of content expertise like you identified, right? That's that's clear. But what's sad to me is that even college doesn't prepare so many students for this type of thinking in the future. You would think college should really, and high school for that matter, education should teach you how to be an adult in the world, understand what the financial system kind of means for your wallet as it applies to debt, which if you're in college, most of us have some of that.
4: I mean going back and signing the, like, promissory notes isn't good enough?
2: Right. Well, I, I think that, and that's so true, I think it's such an abstraction when you think about $220,000 in debt. For most people, that's just some number that... It's hard to wrap your head around. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is. I actually just presented this class with Chris. A lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> they give it out to us like it is.
1: Yeah, and once you sign that paper, they call it the master promissory note because they don't make you sign anything else to get more money, which <laughs> is quite a scam. Right. but uh, we actually just presented this class at an AAMC conference to try and get other schools to start something like this. And one of the slides I had was the average first time mortgage and the average medical student debt load. And they were the same. Yeah. Which we, is, uh, yeah. Which we took is out a
2: mortgage for this medical education. A lot of us did anyways, but it's also that it also highlights the sort of polarity of how we pay for med school because there's a, a big proportion of med students that come out with zero debt. I don't know what that proportion is, but about a quarter. Yeah.
4: I, I did not know that, that twenty five percent graduate with no debt. I mean that's bastards. <laughs> <laughs> what yeah. factors in most oh, of that is so that nice. yeah, is that like parents involvement? Is it what gets them out? Scholarships?
1: Yeah. Great question. We don't really know. So most of that data comes from a survey that's sitting in my inbox right now, the graduating questionnaire for M fours. And it just asks you how much debt you have. It's from the AAMC and they uh, they don't really collect where where the money comes from for people that graduate with no debt.
2: Right. So then a follow up question I have is when we say the average debt load for a medical grad is 225,000, does that factor in that quarter of students that have no debt?
1: It does not. That's okay. for indebted students only. That'd be
2: terrifying. That'd yes. be terrifying if it did. <laughs> yeah. All right.
1: Yeah, but it's interesting because when you look at the graph, it's not like a bell curve like most people listening to this are familiar with. You know, it's pretty tailed. So you'll see there's actually a very significant proportion of people that are above 300,000. If you average it out, it would probably be somewhere in the higher 200,000s for a true average, which is not a quarter
2: of a million dollars. Right. Yeah, it's a mortgage for medical education. But we do it because we love it, don't we, Joyce? Yes, ma'am. Are you all right, Joyce? Are you there? Oh, she's me. Yeah. Austin, I think that's great, though.
1: Well, Gabe, I think you also were imperative in encouraging more students to take this class, too. I think
2: you incorporated it into one of our tracks. Is that right? Yeah, that's that's true. Yeah, the uh, healthcare delivery uh, distinction track that we have at Iowa was looking for another course to add. And this course at Austin co-developed was a perfect fit. Because really, financial knowledge is something you need to work on for basically your entire life. You're not going to learn it all in two weeks or a year for that matter. It's got to be something you have to kind of integrate into your entire well-being. Yeah,
1: you're 100% right. And I love your comment about it, never being taught anywhere. And I could see somebody on these committees because you've got to go through a committee approval process to get things done in education. And I'm sure there are a number of people that said on that committee that said, why? Why do we need a financial education course in medical school? Surely they've learned this or this isn't with our mission. Oh, yeah. And it's a fair point. And what I think is true is that it doesn't really matter that... It's not necessarily just medical education. I think it's that you don't get taught it. And if we don't do it, then nobody's going to do it. Very true. You know, I hope nobody on that committee said that because
0: everybody on that committee went through the same thing at some point in their lives, maybe in absolute numbers. It didn't cost the same back then, but surely they felt the the sting of debt at some point in their life and remember how long it took to pay off and all
4: that kind of stuff. Well, Unless they were in the 25%. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Tim can't (laughs) let it go. go. I'm not going to be in that 25%, but (laughs) I I think I'm fortunate with the situation I have right now. I live with my in-laws, and they don't really charge any rent so think do you think that's an oversight Do you think if they
0: listen to the
1: show are they gonna be like
4: <laughs> i don't know maybe they want me to be in that 25 percent? maybe they'll just cover all my costs
1: Whoa. Just well let, let's say this you know you don't pay in money but is there is there anything that you might consider a, a cost or a job you better not <laughs> <Yeah>. i'm <laughs>
2: gonna officially advise we're you we're gonna go <laughs> offline and this is a setup it's a yeah. trap
4: <laughs> it's a trap
2: listen Austin's kind of inspired me to think about other things that I think could be integrated into medical education, or just the medical school four years that we have. And I think one of the reasons there is potential is because the fourth year of med- medical school, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the fourth year of medical school is ripe for opportunity to integrate extra medical teachings. Would you say that's pretty fair? I would say opportunities, yes. The
1: opportunity for education, because making requirements... Never goes well, sure. But I agree wholeheartedly.
2: The M four year is pretty useless, sure. And I, and I <laughs> yeah. Thank you, thank you. And I wouldn't want to like ram some kind of teaching down a fourth year sort of jaded med students proverbial throat. Yeah, that wouldn't go well, <laughs> exactly. But some med students actually want to sort of address shortcomings in what they know about, and that's what you're highlighting in in what you're what you've developed. Yeah. One thing that I think could be developed is extra training in like. A couple of different areas in statistics and analytics. I think so many physicians, and I'm probably in this pool right now and I'm trying to get out, so many physicians or training physicians don't understand actually how to appraise literature or apply evidence-based medicine. We just know it's important. And kind of by that same token, I think everyone, medical people included, don't have a great understanding of how to like harness data and how to run statistical tests. So I guess something that I'd be interested in maybe trying to to develop would be like an analytics course for students that um, want to understand how to use data, big data in healthcare. Healthcare is all about data. Kind of the new economy is going to be all about data and most people don't understand how to use it. And so I'd like to, what I'd like to do is see if there's more interest among medical students with regards to learning about data, like how to do basic programming to, run automated tests on large data sets to get information that could be helpful in research or in actually practicing medicine and treating patients. Do you think you'd have to go that far? I mean, the real question is, can you accurately interpret what it is you're reading in a a journal? That's hot. Yeah, right. (laughs) I think, so So there's kind of two needs in my mind. For one thing, a lot of physicians don't know how to correctly and consistently use a system to appraise literature. and 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 I'm in this pool and I want to get out. I think yeah. I Part think most goals. people are in this pool.
0: I, I think most of you, and even me, understands what a p value is and
2: the importance of that. But <laughs> we that's know that's yeah. That's like yeah, the super that's... basic level of. I think unfortunately a lot of us kind of look at p values and then if we see a p value that's less than you know 0.05, then we just kind of assume okay this is good and it kind of stops there. So p right. values I think can actually be unhelpful because people just like reduce a really complex thing to one p-value without asking the right questions Mm -hmm. and so really what i'm trying to get to is i also think there's a need or at least i'd like to see if there is and one thing that i was told by a professor i was talking to is that any professor or administrator can go to leadership and say hey i think there's a need but it's most valuable if students if students say hey this is something we want that we're not getting yeah, that's, I think that's what Austin did, and it worked.
0: Yeah, but... that's absolutely that's absolutely true. But, I mean, you know, it, it's not easy. And I think, Austin, you can tell us a little bit more about what you had to do to get approval for this.
1: Yeah, so um, I, I agree wholeheartedly, Gabe. I think if you've got an idea, you really need to have a student advocate, or pushing it through the committees is not going to be quite as smooth. But, essentially, I, I learned a lot about the process. I didn't know anything about getting a course approved. I just wanted to do it, and... Turns out you have to submit like a 20-page portfolio of satisfying all the different requirements, meeting the school's mission, adhering to objectives, etc. That goes to this ambiguous medical education council that then meets at program times throughout the year. So you need to meet a deadline. And throughout this whole process, you have to, well, I chose to meet with an administrator to cater that portfolio to the committee for optimal success. And then we originally got like feedback, kind of like submitting a paper to a journal where you want edits and they want to see some revisions, and we did that and got it approved. But you really uh, need to basically work within the process. You can't just have an idea and then say, "I want this." You got to find somebody who's done it before and then follow their already trodden path.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. And I always say that the worst possible thing you can do is propose something and then just expect it to happen. I mean, oh, for sure. correct. You know, that's sort of that—that's not how it works. You know, you propose something and then you make it happen. Because nobody else is going to make it happen. Everybody, right. everybody's too busy to Absolutely. to just wave a magic wand and, you know, make it go. Yeah, just do it. Do it. Just do it. Yeah. Do it.
2: <laughs> well, first I'd have to see, just for this analytics thing, I'd have to see if students actually care. And maybe they
1: don't. Well, here's, here's an interesting thing, Gabe. You know, some of your comments, like physicians might not know how to interpret statistics. I might push back on you because if you remember back in the day, we had well, I really enjoyed them, although similar to finance, that was not shared by most of my classmates. We did these evidence based clinical practice modules in I recall. our recall in our oh, preclinical yes. years that yeah. actually covered a lot of this material. But I think students similarly just kind of blew through those, did the quiz and moved oh, on. Yeah. So
2: I can well, tell you also, that's what I did.
0: But also, practice. you know, pra- practice is yeah. I, I think you were just gonna say this practice is important. You know, like there's a reason why In our curriculum, we like cover things multiple times because if you just hit it once, that's not going to it's not going to do anything.
2: Yeah, completely agree with. I mean,
4: and I took a stats course like an undergrad and Mm -hmm. like since I haven't practiced it, I know literally like next to nothing anymore. (laughs) Like a T-test versus chi squared. Like, when do I use those again? And what do they mean? Yeah, Um, In
0: college, stats was the the math class that I did the best at in my entire life. Congratulations. And I loved it. I loved it a lot haven't used it since, so I have no yeah, idea what's right. going on. My point of pride is that I did well in it.
4: That's, that's awesome. That's that is I awesome.
5: <laughs> I think another point is like within academia, at least, if you're doing research and you need statistics, then you can get a statistician that can run all your stats. And that's kind of super convenient. But I agree kind of focusing more so on our role as kind of interpreting the data as opposed to providing and running the, the stats itself.
0: You know, you can't always count on that. The example I am just thought of was my wife uh, works in clinical trials and Sometimes these clinical trials take place, you know, we're all used to like hearing about clinical trials at big academic medical centers, but they don't mm-hmm. all that doesn't that's not how they all happen. So in her case, sometimes they have these clinics that do medical device trials and she's just telling me this this past week about a situation where the physician didn't understand, you know, what it was they were supposed to do and she had to really help them help them understand yeah. what they were supposed to do and how they were supposed to collect data and all this kind of stuff.
2: I mean, that's sort of corollary to to the course that you're proposing in a yeah. way, but I think you're kind of, you're kind of underscoring my point. So I appreciate that. I, Joyce, I, I agree. I think physicians, we, we I, I'm a physician in training, I guess, but I think we're always limited by the 24 hours in a day and we have our sort of specialty in medicine and we're, we're always so comfortable to say, you know, other, other people can take care of the non-medical things and that's fair, but I guess I would just like to personally, I would like to learn more about applying stats in my life.
1: And that's also probably a reason for your business interest. Probably.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, in business, if you can't use your data, then your competition will, and you're going to lose. Or if you can't understand business,
1: something like if you aren't at the table, you're on the table, I suppose. So if you don't understand the business terms, you're going to be left out. Thankfully, I know Gabe will be there to support all of his fellow physicians for the rest of his career. So,
2: (laughs) yeah, I would love to work. I this I want to, I want to bring this up. So I remember Joyce and I would do this podcast a few years ago and Austin was an avid listener he would he would tell me like oh, I enjoyed your podcast and as far as I'm aware this is Austin's first time yeah, we had work. a we had a conversation about that before the show <laughs>
0: believe
1: me I did not let that uh go by us uh, I think it was the second sentence you said well, uh, where have you been <laughs> I'm just so thrilled to be here on Austin's first show I mean it was it's was actually a really embarrassing story so in our like activities fair that we have the first orientation week of our med school, I, I've listened to every episode of the Shortcoat, which is <laughs> em- embarrassing in and of itself, but also awesome. So I saw Shortcoat Podcast banner. It's like, oh my God, it's, it's Dave Etler. <laughs> and I walked over and I was like, you're Dave Etler. And he was like, yes. And I was like, this is so cool. I've listened to every episode of the Shortcoat Podcast. Let's He's be like, fair, it was probably more like, why, yes. Yeah, yeah. I, it actually had a deep, booming essence, <laughs> mm. reverberated throughout the hallways. And he was like, That's awesome. And I was like, Oh, stupid. This is Dave. You've got to be cooler, Austin. And then I, I took three and a half years off, and, and here I am. And so. here we are. <laughs> and now you're here to talk about all your accomplishments future urologist something like that yeah what can i say anybody who's out there thinking about specialties stop now you've heard about urology that's all you need to know it's the best specialty (laughs) it's got the most penises it's by far by far by (laughs) far and away and what else could you ask for well good (laughs) there's no easy transition i don't know what (laughs) to i
0: don't know what to say other than i appreciate your fanboying and i you know I, i do miss having people come for interviews and having them sort of walk because the interviews happened like practically right outside my door. Mm-hmm. And they would walk by and, and say hello. And I, I miss that. Oh. Can't wait to get back to, to in-person interviews so
1: that... So I can say hi to people because I like
0: I like, I like like hanging out with people.
1: You're missing your fame. Is that what I'm gathering? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is the more accurate way to put it.
0: I want people to come in and fanboy me. <laughs> or <Poor> girl. <laughs> Fangirl. That's fine. Love it. Austin, so, so you wanted to learn about this, but you... Am I correct in thinking that you already had some knowledge of this stuff? I mean, is that why you
1: wanted more? Yeah, that's correct. So, But I didn't have any formal training in it. So I think that's what stops a lot of people. I was going to say, how did you you learn this stuff? I mean, there's a lot of resources out there. I mean, there's, of course, the dreaded books. And then you've got... Yeah, gross. Mm -hmm. But there's also a great website for physician finance, the White Coat Investor, that has a lot of related links. And Mm -hmm. that's just a great jumping off point. And I basically would... As we've kind of alluded to, necessity is kind of the origin of most people's decision making. So I had to learn a lot about finances in undergrad and growing up out of necessity because that was just the situation that I was in. And when you really have to learn about it, you learn how little people around you understand it. And no more, no place was that more evident than coming to medical school because I think everybody was very happy to push that away for another four years. It does seem like when you're in the beginning, it does seem like, oh, that's A, so
0: far away. B. I got a lot of other shit to do right now,
1: and like, see, that's just so depressing. And I, so, I,
0: but I like that. I like fitting it into the fourth year because you're right. Fourth year is well, I wouldn't have put it so bluntly, but f- there's room. Yes. there's room <laughs> in the room. fourth in the fourth year right now. In fact, that's what we want fourth year to be for you is a chance to sort of explore additional topics relevant to your career and to your. into your life. So I, you know, that's one reason why having these options and, and creating these options is a good idea for
1: us. And, you know, it's, you, the Carver college of medicine is just excellent for incorporating student feedback. I I look at back on my career and I think I, I can't imagine that there's a place that does a better job of reaching out for student feedback or incorporating student ideas into their curriculum. than. Did you have a career before? I mean, I worked in, in research and I was at a couple of different institutions, but I've had a lot of friends that go through various medical schools and you just don't get any kind of reception um, to new ideas or really caring what the students think than, than you do at Carver. It's just kind of like, well, do what we tell you.
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: I want to take a break for a minute. And mention that our
0: sponsor for this episode is our friends at Panacea Financial. Panacea Financial was founded by two young doctors because they found other banks' business practices were incompatible with the physician lifestyle. What is that lifestyle, do you think, like, Gabe Conley?
2: What, what What are the relevant bits of the physician lifestyle that you suppose that they might have been reacting to? I'm guessing, you know, as a resident, you're making probably like an income no more than $60,000 and you still are having to make these high interest payments on like debt. That's now mm. $225,000. Yeah. So I'm, I would hope, I'm not familiar with Panacea, but I will look into them when I'm shopping around for refinancing and such. Yeah. But I would assume they're pretty accommodating to that type of situation where you're making like fifty dollars to $55,000 a year, have a ton of debt and maybe, they're, maybe they kind of minimize your interest rates or something. I don't know. All right, well, I'm about to tell you. Please do. I, that's, I noticed that you didn't ask me about it this time. That's how this works. I, well, I, you know, I like <laughs> to spread out
0: the, the quiz. Yeah, they were frustrated by other banks' high interest rates, their cosigner requirements, their restrictive loan terms, the flat-out rejections, inconvenient access to a customer service. So they built banking specifically for doctors and doctors-in-training. A panacea. Offers a PRN personal loans for medical students with fast decisions and funding in as little as 24 hours. No co-signers required and with rates less than half of a credit card. They also offer totally free checking with all ATM fees reimbursed across the country. So you can take them with you from medical school into residency and beyond. Best of all, every customer at Panacea gets their own private banker. Supported by a live concierge desk service 24 hours a day seven days a week because they work doctor's hours not bankers hours Ooh, that's a nice one yeah i like
2: that i like that ending there <laughs>
0: through their nonprofit arm the panacea financial foundation they invest in doctors and training and are working to improve the leaky pipeline for underrepresented uh, ethnic and racial minorities in the medical profession with scholarship and grant programs panacea is also excited to announce their match day giveaway five hundred dollars will be awarded to five medical students entering the match in 2021. Entry is free. Students can enter the giveaway on their website until March 31st, 2021. Winners will be selected randomly on April 1st, 2021. No purchase necessary for entry. Go to panaceafinancial.com slash matchday to learn more. Panacea Financial is a division of Sonobank member FDIC. That last bit, very important, very important. (laughs) Excellent. Like, that's cool. So, I wanted to underscore your point about listening to your students. I read a story yesterday. That makes me wonder if many other schools, like you have said, out there even encourage students to think of ways to plug holes in their own curriculum. So this was a story, and I'll put a link to it on the shortcoat.com show notes, that is a story about a student who had mental health issues, was suicidal, felt the pressure of being an underrepresented minority in medicine, which this sort of pressure is not familiar to many of us. Uh, In this room, I think this is the sort of like your family. There's a pressure of you succeeding because your family wants you to succeed. Other people who are like you, who are underrepresented minorities, want you to succeed. At least that's what you're thinking. And so there was a lot of pressure for this person and they were having trouble with it. Thankfully, he pulled himself out of it, but he wrote this article in Academic Medicine about why students need mental health resources and tutoring. And what was weird to me about this, the college that they went to, you know, to their credit, they, they were presented with an issue and they worked to fix it. But I don't know how they got to 2018 without noticing these two gaps. Like, we don't offer mental health and, and mental health counseling and we don't offer tutoring. That's, to me, that's insane. But what I like about this story is that the student saw a gap, the student proposed a solution, and the school made it happen. If I was to sum up what I'm getting out of today's discussion, it would be this. Your medical school will not be perfect. And this is true of all institutions, not just medical schools, your job, your residency program, whatever you get into, they will not be perfect. There will be gaps, discontinuities and blind spots. If you're the sort of person that sees those things and wants to fix them like Austin and others that we've talked to on the show over the years, then you'd be unhappy at a school that doesn't admit to the gap, that doesn't fix that gap and then allow you to celebrate your achievement with you in fixing that gap. So I think those things are really important to look for whenever you're looking for a position on this planet
2: absolutely i think one that was a lot of words that was well, <laughs> i liked it though well articulated i think it's because i me. wrote it because i wrote down
0: <laughs> there oh. you go when i try to speak off the cuff it's a little more difficult <laughs>
1: absolutely i think
5: there are a lot of layers to this because I, I really do think that the underrepresented minority student experience within medical school is very different and kind of tying things back together with like financial literacy and things like that like if your parents weren't doctors, they don't really understand like the concept of like, oh, accumulating 200 plus K in debt. That's normal. Like this is something that you normally do in order to move on with your life. I know for me personally, like having immigrant families, the, the mere like fact that I would have to accumulate that much debt in order to be a doctor. That was scary, you know, and it's kind of like reassuring them like, hey, this is like investing in me like this is I'm going to be able to pay it off eventually. Like I'm going to come up with like a payment plan, things like that. But it's still scary to even like jump into in the first place.
2: I was going to say that, you know, getting into medical school is so competitive that for probably most students, they just want to get in somewhere and they'll even take an institution that has like a, however you want to put it, maybe like a malignant type of leadership or a leadership that's just impervious to what med students want. And I think a lot of med students, even me, like when I was applying to med school and you were to tell me. Gabe, the school that you got accepted at, and it's, let's say it's your only acceptance, this school doesn't really take med student feedback well. They're not mm. going to improve anything. I would still probably say, you know what? I still want that degree, though, so I'll go. And I, and I think med, students, med schools probably know this as well, so they probably don't have a ton of pressure uh, to change. But also, once you're in an institution, you have a ton of sort of uh, quote-unquote power and then you can really try to improve things. I agree with you. I just think that the important thing is to ask the question. You can
0: make the decision that, okay, well, that's not important to me. And, it's, and it may not be important to many people. But if it is important to you, then I think you should at least take it into account. And I hope that what I said is applicable as you continue on oh yeah Everywhere. past medical school yep
4: i think there's like Joyce is talking about layers and i think we've talked a lot about the school's responsibility to create an environment where students feel like they can give valuable feedback and i think that plays into like the other layer of I don't know, medical school neuroticism and <laughs> fear of Medical uh, School
0: eroticism.
4: <laughs> Is that what you said? No, you're, ta- in, you're thinking about the penises from earlier. Oh, <laughs> we've we've moved on. You said neuroticism. I said neuroticism, you? yes. I feel foolish. There's the the fear of of weakness, I think, and the you know, perfectionism. And I think school's creating a again an environment and culture where you can feel safe in, you know, asking asking questions and trying to make improvements is important. I think drawing attention to that kind of, I feel like, I know it's true for me. I'm definitely like, I don't want to appear like I don't know something. I mean, we get so many evaluations throughout clerkships and, you know, letters of recommendation and stuff. We want to appear like we've got everything together. (laughs) And so I think maybe that is a barrier that has kind of been fostered by, I don't know, tradition and I don't cultures. Know. I th- agree
0: that that barrier probably exists, but it's, it's obviously hogwash. I mean, of course you don't know things.
4: Oh yeah. No, I think it's, it's stupid. I think, <laughs> I just think that it's important to be aware of that, like pressure that even I'm not from like a, you know, an underrepresented ethnicity minority, like, and I have like these pressures that I think probably most med students feel. And so I think sometimes feeling safe in bringing up holes like mental health and counseling is something that's hard to do. Not for sure. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I thought that was just something to yeah. layers we or desperation.
2: About, it sounds like this person was just in a really bad spot. And that's probably, that's part of the motivation that enabled that person to actually make the change despite the pressures against it. You know, they were yeah. in a really difficult mental health situation.
4: Yeah. I wonder if, you know, like you said, Dave, it sounds kind of incredible and ridiculous that they made it this far without those tools. But I wonder if, you know, some of it might've been incompetency (laughs) for the institution, but maybe some of it was the fact that students hadn't brought it up because they were afraid to. I don't know. Maybe that's I not. I don't
0: know. I, you know, I think it's well known at this point that physicians suffer disproportionately from depression, s- substance, depression abuse. substance abuse, suicide, all that kind of stuff. Like they know that this is true. I mean, there's two things. People have an awfully bad, hard time estimating risk. So you, you know, this yes, is sort sir. of like, it can't happen here kind of, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And then, you know, number two, my experience is that people don't act until something bad happens <laughs> and that's also part of it. So, I don't know. Maybe thinking that they should have acted earlier, it's hard. It's just hard for me to believe that this has not touched this institution before. It's its basically everywhere.
1: Yeah, so that's yeah. very hard to believe. I also think that it's really a pertinent discussion here just because I'm looking. I know most of you can't see me, but I'm looking into Dave's office right now, and he has a suicide prevention hotline magnet on his desk. Yeah. People know about this, and, uh, you know, providing that kind of safe space and the opportunities to reach out to somebody to help you is so, so important, so... If you are a student at an institution that doesn't have those things, now is your, your chance to reach out and be that change.
0: Yeah, go to, uh, exactly, go to the, you know, go to the shortcode.com look for the show note that I'll post on that and the, on that article, and then you can get the academic medicine article the student wrote and make it happen at your school. You can be a culture changer. That's right. It's hard. That's that you right. Can do it. it ain't I love it. It ain't easy. The other problem with being a change
1: agent is that you're not always thanked for, right. for bringing up problems, <laughs> but. No, you're not. Yeah. Well said. I think the one other point I wanted to make to loop back to Gabe's statement about not having a choice in the matter, I think it's something like 50% of medical school matriculants only have one acceptance. So that's a very fair point, but what you can control is where you apply. So I think that it's important to consider places that maybe bring up these issues of their own free will and and talk about them to large audiences and consider that in your application strategy.
2: I didn't know that. After all these years, I didn't know that that was the, the statistic. I have to say that... You know, I think we've all done some pre-med counseling in the last 4 years at various times, some formal, some informal. Yes. And when I've talked to pre-meds, it's usually honestly, this is the this is seriously the outlook I get and it is all I want. Literally they they say this, all I want is to get into medical school. I don't care about much else. It's kind of the outlook they have in part because of the hyper competitiveness of getting in. And I think in my that's just my experience in talking to these people and it just seems like they would accept, like, I'll, I'll I'll, apply to a malignant place because I just want, I want this so bad. And then they find out later, like, this is actually terrible for my mental health or et cetera. But the point is, you can still be a culture changer. Sure. You can no, always do that. I agree. And let's not discount the fact that there's
1: not a lot of information available yeah, on sure. the actual experience <laughs> that exists. Um, that well, I was going to yeah. say,
0: I think how I would approach it if I were an applicant is to ask, you know, during your interviews, ask questions that sort of get at that. So tell me about a time, for instance, if you if you wanted to gauge your institution's ability to take feedback and act on it. Tell me about a time when a student noticed a gap and wanted to fill it. If they can't answer that question, and this, I might not do this during interview day because... Like in our case, the interviewers don't necessarily know everything about the institution. I would ask this of your admissions people offline. But tell me about a time when when a student came to the school and saw a gap and wanted to fill it and the school said yes.
1: Yeah, I think that's phenomenal. So I just actually finished the match process, matched a few weeks ago. And I know Joyce is wrapping up here and waiting to finish in like two weeks or so. And one of my favorite questions on the trail was tell me about a time that a resident was struggling and how did you approach that? So I wholly agree love with that. your suggestion dave and,
0: if, and, and then pay attention because if they can't answer that question you now know something
1: yes very telling pro tip love it
3: i think also kind of along the same lines of mental health is also the concept of wellness and i feel like people really flaunt that word here and there I'd be like oh yeah we have so much wellness like we have yoga occasionally but i think real wellness really comes from like structural changes like if residents are complaining for example of like shift length or something like that like 12 hour shifts they're too long they want to do 10 hour shifts and like be able to have like weekends and switch shifts and things like that sorry very emergency medicine mindset but that's an example of something that they can do to actively help their residents and their their people as opposed to just being like oh but we have yoga on fridays
0: yeah i'm sorry i'm laughing it's a great point i'm laughing at at yoga i don't know
1: like uh, yoga is great i'm sure but as a cure as a cure for mental health issues like okay yeah it's kind of like saying have you tried not being stressed out (laughs) right can't recommend it enough
2: it's It's one of those things where it sounds good to say to someone who's struggling it sounds good you might feel good because you feel like you might be helping but if you're ever on the other side of that and someone says it to you you realize how like shitty of advice that is yeah Yeah. but but i've i've given that kind of shitty advice before and then i've been on the receiving side of it and i've realized oh my god because you want to do something well that comes i think that sort of advice comes from not having great answers you know to to
0: the to the problem. And, and I think I have some sympathy for not having great answers because mental health,
1: it's a complicated issue. Yes, it sure is. You know, I think they should just take every student that gets admitted and just funnel them through the counseling center and say, Hey, you don't have to have something wrong, but come sit down, tell me about life. And then you've got that connection and you know where to go. Yeah. I think they've kind of done that here, haven't they? Yeah. They have have started doing
4: that. Yeah. Yeah. 15 minute, like you're supposed to come in and like, just say hi and get to know them. Yeah. I think it's awesome. And Excellent.
2: here's where I'll, I'll, I'll admit, I never used tutoring or counseling. And I probably should have used a- both. No, no, no. I should have used both. But I just never did. Dave is a genius. I'm a <laughs> Literally the opposite. <laughs> Brain flex. But that's just, I think a lot of people are like that. And especially probably medical st- students and trainees. Sort of, you know, we want to feel like we got it all under control. Debt management included. Like, oh, I'll be a pro at that later. Right now I'm doing the medical thing. Mm-hmm. And they put everything off and then they realize they... Have made some terrible financial decisions in the past that now they can't do much about. Yeah. So Look like re- take it from me. Marry somebody who knows how to how to do money. There that's what go. I that's what I did. Not I mean a, you a you bit could bit. and you can get a step, step
0: further, marry somebody who actually has money. But I didn't I didn't <laughs> think that far ahead. So that's also a Financial tips from Dave.
1: Yeah. Marry that, a smart person. That really talks about Tim's point too. Just the massive fear of failure that you have and even saying something out loud even acknowledges that you might fail at something or not be good at something is so scary. But I feel all the time and I think the hardest part is just saying you know I don't feel great at this I don't get this and once you say it and you realize you don't get berated for it it gets a lot easier after that so the hardest part is just just saying it telling somebody
4: I remember it kind of cheesy but in our first like our orientation week do you guys remember the activity where you were like blindfolded and you like had to find a way to get out of like the (laughs) Joyce's nodding and like I remember I was really frustrated I couldn't find my way out of this like I forget if it was, like, rope or something that you, like, had to find your way out, but you could only, like, use your hands to feel and trace. And the activity ended after, like, I don't know, four or five minutes, and I was super frustrated. And there were some people who made it outside of the, the, like, corral, I guess. And the whole point was, like, they said, raise your hand, like, if you need help. And so the people who made it out were the people who raised their hands. And I thought it was it's like kind of a cheesy thing but i thought it was a great lesson and i obviously still remember it so it was effective but i think just reinforcing that you know wanting to be a superman in medicine and not have any flaws i think it's important to to nip that in the butt early yeah yeah.
1: (laughs) reach out yeah it's a great story i I do remember that now that's that's great
0: guys i wanted to uh shift gears a little bit uh and give you a news quiz
4: okay some Uh, things that
0: happen in the news
4: in the newspaper
0: yeah in in the news in the newspaper on the wireless i heard it (laughs) what's a newspaper so let's see if you can let's see if you know these things that have happened recently Mm -hmm. and just give you a timeline i guess in general these things are this past week back through mid-february so all right, this week, a Sacramento plastic surgeon fought back after a video he was in went viral last week. What was the video that forced him to take up arms against cancel culture?
1: He was doing surgery while in traffic court.
0: Yes. Uh, I did see that one, actually. Yes, the Zoom it. video of his traffic court hearing in which he appeared from an operating room. Scott Green, MD, appeared on screen wearing his full operating room gear, gloves, hat, mask, everything. But he insisted he was good to go because his phase of the operation was over, though the operation had run long. This week, he was kind of upset that the media portrayed him as irresponsible. He tried to clarify that the other doctor was in the room, uh, that that another doctor was in the room, fully licensed and trained physician like himself, who was closing after the facelift was done, although he admitted he should have stepped out and, and maybe gone to traffic court.
1: Wow, I miss this and Just send your lawyer What are you doing? Right Sounds surgeon. like you're trying to flex <gasps> Oh, judge, I, I didn't see you there <laughs> In the operating I'm
2: vastly <laughs> improving someone's life right now
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, Thank you for this opportunity to talk about my speeding ticket <laughs> I have nothing else to do
4: Or ask the judge to come to the OR <laughs> or something Yeah
1: uh, All right. Cancel
4: culture. That would be an interesting discussion for another time. I would.
1: <laughs> that box, that the Pandora's box in the
4: it's, corner, Tim. It's <laughs> a
1: box. It's actually it's, relevant for
0: your profession, the show. We could dig into everything. It. I mean, it's it's a
2: it's a thing. That's a thing that I'm not sure I like. Is it a good thing? Yeah. Well, for one thing, <laughs> Tim, you did it. I'll, let me just say one thing: uh, you can't cancel someone. You can tell me I'm canceled, but that doesn't actually do a gosh darn thing to me. I'm not canceled some person canceled me maybe the internet did for a time what's i think what's scarier is kind of the doxing that can happen and sort of the, the real violence that can occur like let's say someone gets canceled and then a whole bunch of people like share their address through sort of hacking types of things getting their ip address and such and shares a lot of personal information about these people and then kind of spreads that throughout and then they get threats yeah. that's really scary that's cancel culture but the idea that you can cancel me i think it's kind of productive because it's for one thing it's not true but it also kind of destroys a bridge. And so now now we're enemies as opposed to two people who disagree about something that we could p- perhaps fix. Yeah.
4: yeah. Well, I would love to dig into it. I just think that the idea that somebody's going to be perfect today or, you know, whether it's 100, 200, 300, however many years ago, like if perfection is the standard, then we're going to have nobody left standing at the end.
0: I but. think so. This, the other thing that happened just to, a- Uh, this past week was the the dr seuss foundation uh, i took back some books that or stopped selling some books that had racist depictions in them what i think is interesting about that is it doesn't seem like there was an effort to cancel dr seuss Mm -hmm. it's just that you know the foundation itself was like like, you know these books they got some problems maybe we don't need to sell them anymore yeah and so i think that's like the all i don't know what to take away from that? Other yeah. than other than that, cancellation is not necessary. Yeah, I you think know, with like that. everybody does things in their lives that they didn't that that they wouldn't have appreciated. Some people do actually awful things in their lives that mm-hmm. that they would like to that maybe they would like to take back. I don't. Does that invalidate their entire existence, their entire body of work, their value to society? I don't know.
3: There's so many layers to this.
1: Participant. <laughs> yeah.
3: <laughs> You know, like onions, ogres are like onions. I really feel like cancel culture can be dangerous, but also can like shed light on important topics. And if it gets people riled up, it'll get people talking and it might actually like unveil some things that we really need to address as like a society. In the event that it's like completely unwarranted, someone gets canceled based off of something someone said, and then it like blows up and kind of like Gabe was saying, we're just like people get like death threats online. That's way too far. But I do think that like kind of unveiling a little bit and like having those discussions
4: are worth having. All
0: right. Well, let's let's move on because I would got to end the show at some point. I want to be here forever. OK. <laughs> yeah. Joyce
4: has like six hours, right? So yeah. How long have you been doing this? <laughs> What's the countdown, Joyce?
3: Still got another four hours.
4: <laughs> oh, man. Wow. I'm comfy. <laughs> Just let's settle in.
0: This week. A report called out a physician and member of Congress for bullying staff members, making inappropriate sexual comments, drinking alcohol, and abusing Ambien on the job. Where did the doctor work at the time?
2: No idea. A VA? Good, good guess. Thank you. Good guess?
4: I have no idea.
2: Okay. Then, what'd you say? Kaiser. Okay. No. University Medical Center? No. I don't know.
0: I'll tell you the answer. The White House.
2: Oh, I did see something about the this. The
0: Pentagon's internal watchdog office published the report this past Wednesday detailing Rear Admiral Dr. Ronnie Jackson, his alleged behavior in both the Obama and Trump administrations as White House physician. Dr. Jackson was elected to the House of Representatives last year to represent the 13th Congressional District of Texas.
2: All right, speaking of cancel culture. I can't imagine taking Ambien and then going to work. Is that kind of what he was, is that, that what I, was happening? That's what he was, that's what he was accused of just can't imagine that. No, no. Uh, like I can't imagine taking... So, well, so you
0: may not
4: remember it. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, on occasion, I have had difficulty sleeping. And what I take is melatonin, which often works, but sometimes doesn't. And if it doesn't work, I follow it up with an eighth of a somanex. Or mm. an eighth of a doxalanine succinate, I think is how it's pronounced. I don't know if that's actually somanex. And the reason I take an eighth is because I have had to titrate it. Because if I take a whole one, I am... Dead the next day, like completely brain dead. And uh, so I've had to like, like slowly back it off to an eighth, which is ridiculous. That's like, it's like, if you think of an eighth of a pill, it's like basically a grain of sand. Yeah. But wow. That's all that's. So I can't imagine taking Ambien. Yeah. Which is crazy. Do you lose those eighths very often, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. I got a little pill cutter, though. You know, you, you cut it in half, you cut that in half. And then you cut it one more time, half of it is turned into sand. Half of that eighth is turned into sand, and then the other half is the one that you take. So. Huh. <laughs> that is a rapid, process.
4: rapid absorption. It's absurd. All right, next.
0: Who apologized on Thursday for tweeting, "No physician is racist, so how can there be structural racism in healthcare uh, Joyce? <laughs> yeah, that's: Indiana? Yeah. That's the a journal miss. of the American Medical Association. That's uh, a mess. The tweet was to promote a JAMA podcast episode, which included the views of Dr. Mitchell Katz, president and CEO of NYC Health and Hospitals, and a discussion on how many physicians are skeptical of structural racism in medicine. JAMA has apologized for the tweet. and will address some of the more problematic aspects of the episode itself, hopefully including a discussion on how an episode about structural racism was allowed to become an example of structural racism. Right.
3: Let's just
0: just cancel racism. I'm over it. Okay. Right. On board. All right. I don't know how I missed this last one, but back in mid-February, Good Morning America invited first-year resident Raga Vemula to talk on the show about her experiences in the past year treating patients with COVID. But what was their real reason for having her on the show? Any any guesses on the real reason for having her on the show? Was she a dancer? I don't know. Okay. Yeah, that's my guess. That's your guess. It's not right. Yeah. What do you What do you think, Tim? What's she
4: getting proposed to?
0: Ac- interesting, interesting. Interesting. I have seen it's
4: Valentine's Day or something yeah. on there, so I'm yeah. like, I don't know, something yeah. related.
0: Had she won a million dollars. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Joyce, do you have a guess?
2: I have no idea. <laughs> All right.
0: Well, I'm going to play it for you and tell me what you think about this. Here we go. Our guest thinks that she is joining us to talk about her experience as an essential worker, which is very important. But she's actually in for a huge Valentine's surprise. I do want to ask you this first question. You've been a true hero during the pandemic, working tirelessly every day to help others. What has that been like to be on the front lines through all of this? It's, I mean,
5: to be honest, it, it was kind of scary coming in as an intern fresh out of medical school and you know we're not really taught those types of men in medical school. Standing but behind her, we've had such good faculty right? teaching. Yeah. Our attendings are like our big brother, big sister. not sure what he's doing, doing so back much there. more comfortable dealing with COVID-19, but it's sad to see all these patients and their families not able to be together in the time of need. It takes a toll on you, but I feel because we're in a very strong residency, it's really provided us a lot of learning opportunities as well, and the good the good part is that we feel super safe.
0: Well, absolutely, and we are certainly great to hear that from you. But we didn't want to have you on GMA without having a big surprise for you as well. So as much as we were trying to concentrate on what you were saying, <laughs> turn around for a moment. Go ahead, take a look behind you. <laughs> that right there is your boyfriend, Steven, surprising you for valid... So, we are so happy yeah, you're right. This was a, this was a proposal. <laughs> yeah. Winner winner chicken dinner for
1: Tim. I Hate this host. So <laughs> I just hate this host. Well, who? Me? No. Well, no. I love I'm, you. I've told you about my love affair with you for a long time. But it's not. Ruin I thought it. maybe I changed your idea yeah. in the space. Now that I've been here, I just had to let you know. In the space of no, there's Good an Morning hour. America host. Well, you you know that's very important, but let's get to the
2: proposal. Listen, we couldn't even listen to you. We're
4: <laughs> so distracted by this <laughs> the job love. is very important, but we care more about this guy behind you. All right, we're going to let you finish. I know it's COVID and whatnot, but did you know it's
0: Valentine's Day?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Come
0: on. That was we're, the worst idea for a segment I feel like I've ever heard. I mean, if I was, a you know, like if I did this to, first of all, I do not, I, have any of you proposed before? Yes. Yes. So you're married and you're married. Joyce you're, Joyce is sh- shaking her head as though she's not interested in the idea. Austin, no, Nope. Okay. So <laughs> Probably won't be on
4: Good Morning America. I'm going to give
0: like. you a little hint. I hope I don't offend members of the audience. This, is, oh, this juicy. is probably just my insecurities talking here. I just don't think it's a good idea to propose on the Jumbotron like this. <laughs> You're taking some risk not only well, are you taking some pressure too th- yeah not only are you taking a risk but you're pressuring the other yeah. person in a way that i'm not certain is fair yeah
3: so what are your thoughts if someone wanted to propose on the short coat podcast
0: Ooh. oh i would do it <laughs> and i would do it in the douchiest way possible a la gma <laughs> that right listen I was only half
2: listening to you turn around Yeah. <laughs> turn around right now Joyce. <laughs> we know that you're at the Denver Airport we're gonna yeah. let you finish but <laughs> we found a man for you yes <laughs> Over there, next to gate B3, you'll find your husband. He's
1: 6'2", he has a job. He's standing directly behind you, looking over your shoulder. That was the creepiest part of it.
0: I, I mean, know.
4: That uh, was weird. Yeah. I was like, is he supporting her? Is he waiting to murder her? What's going <laughs> is on Is a bodyguard? <laughs> yeah, what What about that? I mean, so what is the
1: thought process? Talk about all of the difficulty of treating COVID patients and starting your medical residency to get you in the mood for... To, <laughs> For yeah, Valentine's right. Day? This is so romantic. Post- you know, there's this joke Aziz Ansari does that I can't recommend people go listen to enough about this guy proposing at a restaurant with unlimited breadsticks, and I thought that was bad. <laughs> this <laughs> definitely is worse than that. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely. Couldn't, that wrong. couldn't they have
4: had him, like, walk up after <laughs> she had finished or something? You know, like...
1: I
0: don't know. Yeah. Like it feels. Like, it feels like there's a number of ways that this could have been done differently.
2: Yeah, uh, I mean, or I, maybe
4: not at all. But it's <laughs> 2020. But you know, I don't know. This one, I feel like you could have seen coming. They should have given her a cash prize. That's they what did actually. Saying. They oh, okay. gave her five thousand dollars right. to go on their yeah. honeymoon
0: or whatever. So anyway, I that was disappointing. Yeah, I, I. I mean, look, I can, I can, I can get into the. I, I can, I get it. Coming up with something to do on your show, every, you know, every day must be, you know. Sort of terrifying. I mean, even even doing a show every week, I'm like, oh, what am I going to talk about now? Got all these, buns but the show, you man. know, maybe don't give in to the maybe don't give in to the completely ridiculous. You know, it, it's just an idea I have. All I right, agree. for what it's worth, that's our show. Tim, Austin, Gabe, Joyce. I'm think? sad. Thanks for being this on was, the show today. This was great.
4: No, it's it's hard to sign up. There's, it's so full for like well, ever.
0: Uh, you're so popular, Dave. <laughs> How about this? Just propose some extra ideas to me.
1: Make them happen. ah, uh, And then I'll set happen. up an extra show. How about that? Ooh. Also, as we wrap up, last thing, if anybody's listening and wants to create a financial course, I'll give you my proposal. Find me on Twitter at Austin Kazarian. Just let's make it happen. Nice.
0: Love that. Very
1: good. And what kind of impacted bowel would I be if I didn't
0: thank you, short coats, for making us a part of your week? If you're new here and you like what you heard today, subscribe to our show wherever fine podcasts are available. Our editors are A.J. Chowdery and Eric Bozart, and Alex Belzer is our marketing coordinator. The show is made possible by a generous donation by Carver College of Medicine Student Government, an ongoing support from the writing and humanities program. Our music is by Dr. Vox and Catmosphere. Talk to you in one week.
2: Oh, oh, oh,